Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For, For Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. And what a roller coaster ride it's been. From the giddy highs of the top of our qualifying group in October last year, off the back of a record 11-game winning streak, to the grim reality of snatching third spot in Group A by a solitary point, the contrast couldn't have been greater. Along the way, one of Graham Arnold's key target men, Harry Sutar, went down with an ACL, and just as the squad was being finalised ahead of the last gap qualifiers in Doha, a man we all thought would play a pivotal role, Tom Brogic, pulled out. The planets just didn't seem to be aligned for a fifth straight World Cup. But when luck and form have been running against you for so long, often in life, when the pendulum swings, it happens suddenly. And that shift in favour of the Socceroos was dramatic over the past week. First, a nail-biting win against the UAE before Arnie's men shocked just about everyone but themselves with an incredible penalty shootout win against Peru that goes into the books as one of the all-time greats. And to reflect on it all, one of the heroes across both ties, a man who's been with us since this show started, fresh off the plane from Doha, Jackson Irvine, who we cannot wait to talk to. Then Socceroos and Matilda's Central will take a slightly different tack this week as we're joined by one of the elder statesmen of football in this country, former technical director and interim manager of the Socceroos, Ron Smith, to look at the results of the last week and also take a look at the AFC's under-23s results. And while Australian football has been celebrating, our cousins across the Tasman are lamenting what might have been after the All Whites lost the final intercontinental playoff to Costa Rica in heartbreaking circumstances. We'll talk to the voice of Kiwi football from Sky Sports New Zealand, Jason Pine, about where it went wrong and hopes for an easier path ahead of an expanded World Cup to come. And of course, we'll wrap it up with everything else that's been going on in the world of football in stoppage time with Derek. But Edge, you're still there in Doha. Just tell us what the experience was like. We've been communicating with you since then, mate. Have you come down from cloud nine? Oh, well and surely, Rob. I'm a little bit tired and not from uh, partying, from uh, uh, just obviously the emotion of everything that's gone on since uh, we've been here. And obviously in my professional capacity, it's been a big um, uh, 36 hours since Australia qualified to uh, uh, activate all the contingencies that we had in place in the event that Australia qualified. But uh, the emotion of the night, um, just watching... Um, some of the Australian family members of the players and uh, and fans was uh, was pure relief. Uh, I mean, it's a very tense uh, match, a playoff, intercontinental playoffs are very tense. Uh, nobody really uh, wants to lose rather than wants to win, if you know what I mean. It's a, it's a uh, everyone's just panicking about uh, the possibility of a of a blunder or a mistake. So um, the the guys had to play the game. They did exceptionally well. Um, I must uh, pay tribute to the Peruvian fans who are one of the nicest group of uh, football supporters that I've had the pleasure of um, uh, meeting in my journey around the world. They were just absolutely brilliant, uh, beautiful um, uh, beautiful melodies in their singing in the stadium as well as just pure graciousness after what would have been a massive uh, massive shock for them to go down in that in that fashion. So uh, that was very much in the front of my mind. But uh, and and just uh, relief and joy for the players because uh, and the coaches uh, and everybody who has 
held together the World Cup qualifying campaign. It's been uh, 1,010 days, whatever it's been, but um, the pressure on everybody involved in that campaign with uh, navigating through COVID, uh, as well as um, just the uh, extent of the, um, you know, the, the, the legacy that they know they leave behind. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what it is for me. It's it, it's just uh, relief, and and then the joy comes as uh, it starts to sink sink in that we're off to the World Cup for a fifth time in a row. Absolutely, it um, it is uh, joy, and it's all sinking in. And uh, Michael, you as you said, uh, you're still in Qatar, and we've been reporting back to you the reaction back home. But uh, it is it has been massive. Uh, last week, we um, you know at times we were a little frustrated with some of the cynicism that was coming out in some areas of the press. Uh, uh, but um, these boys, if uh, certain members of the Fifth Estate uh, weren't aware who they were before uh, that match, then they certainly are now. And um, and their uh, their journey just continues, doesn't it? I mean, I guess uh, as we get closer over the coming weeks and even in stoppage time, we'll have a look at the group and uh, and just see what we uh, we feel like we can make of it. But uh, you know, it's just fantastic to be talking about the very fact that that we're going when you know uh, to share uh, you know a little inside thought with our listeners um, in our production meeting for this week's show. We you know we we had to talk about all the, the consequences and uh, and just so so relieved that we were able to talk about the positive one and uh, and one of the great Great uh, outcomes of this is that uh, we're able to, you know, lean on some of our good relationships in this game, and uh, and we've got, as I said off the top of the show, Jackson Irvine coming up uh, uh, to have a chat to us real soon. But Willem, you've got a stack of news. Why don't you roll us off the start? And I suspect I know what might be the lead item. I think it might be the Socceroos, Rob. I want to talk about the penalty shootout. We're going to relive it a few times over the years, to say the least. Five four was the end result. All of Aaron Moy, Craig Goodwin, Jamie McLaren, Aidan Rustich, Alma Bill, and finally Andrew Redmayne delivered when it mattered. Let's take a listen to Simon Hill's call. It's all on this for Peru. Alex Valera. And Redmayne makes the save. It's a save that means the world to Australia. It's a save that means the World Cup for Australia. Michael, what are the quality of the penalties? I mean, every one of those boys now, and Martin Boyle included, I mean, he, he didn't disgrace himself with his penalty. They don't call uh, Pedro Galisi El Pulpo for nothing, the octopus. Uh, but every one of those penalties was just magnificent. And all of those guys now uh, have a very special moment to hang their international reputations on. Craig Goodwin, I thought he missed his moment a couple of times against the UAE, but he delivered here. Uh, Jamie McLaren, uh, still question marks on him from some camps about his uh, his ability at international level, but uh, they've put paid to all that now. And, uh, and Andrew Redmay, I mean, we all watch a lot of sport. Listeners watch a lot of sport. You can't predict what will happen, but you tend to think you have an idea of what could happen. But I don't think anybody ever thought that he'd be there uh, at the most critical moment, uh, making himself a Socceroos legend. Absolutely. Well, can I just say, first and foremost, there's been a lot of discussion over here about Peru's preparation for this match, in particular them agreeing not to uh, come and get settled in the environment. They landed only three days before the match. They hadn't been to the stadium before... Um, they actually uh, turned up to play the game. Um, they, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, discussion amongst sort of, um, you know, the people in the industry here that were shocked about that. And one item that I was shocked about uh, as I was um, picking up the, my jaw off the ground when I realised that Matthew Ryan was going to be substituted because nobody <laughs> predicted that. Um, I was looking at the Peru bench and they were in deep discussion about their order of penalty takers and there was a lot of animated discussion on the Peru bench about that. So it, it became very clear to me that they 
probably uh, maybe through substitutions and the game had evolved with extra time, hadn't had a pre-planned plan on who was going to take their penalties. Um, and it was clear to me that Australia did. And uh, the Australians just, you know, there was no discussion. They knew exactly what was going on. There was a quick a quick meeting of, uh, of 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 the senior players, and uh, and they got on with it. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. Martin Boyle has been so fantastic for the entire campaign. He's been really yeah. one of the players, hasn't he? That um, when he missed, um, yeah, I didn't think it was uh, such a bad penalty. It was just a good save, and those things happen. And I was feeling for Martin because I thought if uh, we go down and Martin is sort of you know fingered for you know one of the reasons why, I thought that would be most unfair. But um, yeah, Martin. Um, he got to uh, he got to be relieved at the end of it, as as we saw what transpired. But um, yeah, just amazing. You know, there's so much um, happening around a penalty shootout. Referees calming people down. You know, people running onto the ground. Uh, all sorts of different things happening. But um, yeah, what a what an experience for everybody around Australia who are watching. But what an experience for us that were in the stadium. Just. Uh, absolute uh, pandemonium when we realised uh, Andrew had saved that final penalty spot kick. have to dock my cap to Arnold as well, of course. I've been very critical of him for being risk-averse and and uh, and maybe uh, timid at times, to, if you want to use that word. But uh, this was a massive gamble uh, in the biggest moment possible. Maybe you'll say it wasn't a gamble. Maybe you'll say Redmayne was his better penalty saver. But uh, at least reputationally to uh, to pull that off. Uh, yeah, I have to, have to dock my cap. So what well on to Arnie. A quick Word as well for Aaron Moy, Michael, to come in having defied his club, having played barely any football. I think he got 60 minutes against Jordan in the friendly, 90 minutes and then 120 minutes, and to wear the armband and step up to the spot to take the second penalty, which absolutely could not have been missed, uh, was a phenomenal effort, really. He was heroic. Um, I've got to say a little a little story about Aaron. Uh, when we had the uh, the training session with the players and we, um, we went along to watch um, at the end of the session, uh, they came over to sort of mix with the fans and Aaron was the first one to walk over and um, he had a big smile on his face. He greeted everyone and um, one of our, uh, Luke Credentino, one of our uh, tour guests, just put his hand out and was obviously very, I mean, all of the tour guests are very aware of um, all of the players' stories and Luke just said to him, Aaron, I just want to say thank you for all the sacrifices you're making for uh, Australia and the Socceroos, uh, you know, we've read in the media about what's happening in China. So just wanted to say thank you. And he was genuinely, you know, he was genuinely touched by that. He, uh, mm. he, uh, he it was a, a real glow in his face and he engaged in a conversation deeply about that with Luke. And um, I won't sort of say what they said to each other, but it was a very special moment. And, um, and that's the thing about um, uh, this group of players or any group of players that represent Australia. Uh, when you're a long way from home, you can be quite detached with the the sentiment that's at home. So uh, when the players got a bit of that sentiment, it was just a, a very authentic response. And they're human like us. They don't, they're not robots. They don't swap off. They they get impacted by all the things we read and see and feel. And uh, that was evident to me. And I, and I know that um, when, you know, and I thought Aaron was just, uh, just fantastic, you know, um, to play the amount of time that he did off the preparation he had. Oh, look, he's a super player, a super Australian. He's very different to previous uh, Socceroos greats. He's uh, quietly spoken, but uh, he's uh, someone you want in the trench with you uh, when you're going to battle, no doubt about it.
Oh, very, very special night, a special campaign, an extremely difficult campaign, and Aaron's been the center of, at the center of it uh, throughout. So we'll leave the Socceroos for now. We'll come back later uh, with Jackson Irvine. There's another group of Australians doing us proud overseas at the minute, the Australian under-23s. Since we last spoke, have taken another step to the Paris Olympics. They had a 1-0 win over Turkmenistan in the AFC under-23 Cup quarterfinals. It was an own goal, but it was set up by Louis Dorigo. So that puts us into a semi-final against Saudi Arabia on Wednesday evening, which will play out a few hours after we record. Japan and Uzbekistan meet in the other semi-final. The two finalists and the winner of the third place playoff will qualify for Paris. While we're on the Asian Cup, Michael, the Grenadine Army will be there as well at the uh, the Senior Asian Cup. The field is set. We're going to have an expanded competition. Uh, a few nice storylines out of that quickly. Tajikistan have qualified for the first time. Hong Kong are going to be there for the first time in 54 years. Malaysia have qualified on merit for the first time since 1980. Uh, their only other appearance came in uh, 2007 as the host. So uh, I know we've got a World Cup ahead of us, but I'm, I'm particularly excited to see what the Socceroos can do there uh, and hopefully lift that for a second time. McGree, Rustich, John Rowe, Atkinson, Rolls, Qual, uh, all these guys have had a taste of, uh, Qual aside, have had a taste of, uh, of senior Socceroos uh, football now. It's only going to get better over uh, the World Cup cycle and then out the other, that other side of that, they're going to be our leaders. So very excited for that Asian Cup. It's going to be massive. You don't know where it's going to be yet. Um, there is a bit of talk about it being in Qatar, but that would mean that uh, two editions in a row are in the west of Asia, and they don't like to do that. Uh, there is a little bit of talk about Korea and Japan trying to get together a, a joint hosting um, arrangement, but obviously uh, that will be revealed in time. But um, yeah, I mean, some great stories. This is going to be one of the um, narratives of the next uh, World Cup uh, cycle, because um, obviously with uh, the World Cup being expanded to 48 teams, uh, it's um, going to be an incredible uh, opportunity for some of these smaller nations that really didn't have a chance to qualify under the previous model. So, yep, um, uh, electrifying the Asian uh, Confederation of Football is is uh, what this is about, uh, and uh, we're all looking forward to that. And well done to Hong Kong, uh, one of my favourite places in the world. Um, obviously, they've been through a, a lot in recent times, so well done to Hong Kong. Costa Rica will head to a third consecutive World Cup after edging New Zealand 1-0. They've taken the final place at the Qatar uh, World Cup. They're going to slot into Group E alongside Spain, Germany and Japan. Costa Rica took the lead on three minutes through former Arsenal striker Joel Campbell and was spared that lead when Chris Wood's equaliser was ruled out by the VAR. From there, the All-Whites had the lion's share of possession. Uh, they couldn't find the net rob and the task was made harder on 69 minutes when Costa Barbarousas was sent off. Uh, for those who haven't seen the footage, Rob, what did you make of the red card and the VAR decision, which has unfortunately uh, cost our Kiwi friends a, a chance to a place at the World Cup? Look, the VAR was a 50-50 thing. It was a scenario where uh, it could easily have been allowed to stand. So, you know, you, you do... I talked about the rub of the green earlier on for Australia. You do have to... And I know Edge was in the stadium, so I'm interested in his thoughts as well. I think think that on this occasion, it went against the Kiwis. The radio commentary, the, the Kiwi uh, radio commentary, they called the red card before it actually happened. So uh, um, for, for me, look, you know, going in studs up, I think cost was just uh, uh, unfortunately a little bit too enthusiastic. You know, he was desperate to, to be the, the guy that made the difference and unfortunately he made it for all the wrong reasons. So, I mean, Edge, you were in the stadium there. Um, you said it was a cracking game. Uh, uh, some of the commentary suggests that the, the Kiwis were, you know, the better side on the night and, uh, and even uh, with a man down, um, 
could could uh, uh, have been, um, you know, it would have been a fair result if they had to come back and, uh, and, and equalise. We're going to bring forward a special edition of Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Expressions of interest are, of course, now open for the 2022 World Cup. Packages are just days away, Michael. So if you're a Socceroos fan, what is the best or the next best step that you can take? Today. Well, the first step is don't panic. If you want to go to the World Cup, don't panic. There is a way to do it. Um, it's uh, going to be a challenging environment uh, for every football fan around the world who wants to go because of the limited nature of services in Qatar. Obviously, the first time in the history of the World Cup that we've had 32 teams, the players, family members, officials, VIPs, staff and fans in the one city, and the city is the size of Brisbane. So let's... Um, Everyone needs to not panic. The first thing is that uh, because of the intercontinental playoff structure, there's been tickets put aside for those uh, last two qualify federations. So there'll be a uh, another sales period for those. That's coming in a few weeks' time, and you need to stay tuned to the GG Army uh, website, ggarmy.com, or, or and also Football Australia's to to understand the mechanisms by which you can do that. And obviously, um, we're there to support. Uh, we're there to support all fans that are in. Uh, going to be making their way to Qatar and we've got tour packages which will include all of the logistics on the ground you'll just need to turn up at the airport and we'll take care of everything for you so we'll help you through the ticket purchase process so the Haya card which is the equivalent of the fan ID in Russia uh, the Haya card which is your visa to enter the country um, and uh, it'll be amazing so um, only two or three days away until we launch our uh, much anticipated 2022 Qatar FIFA World Cup tour packages we're all I'm pretty excited about what we've got planned for everyone here. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have an Australia village, um, um, some fantastic apartments in a great location in Doha, and we'll be having the time of our lives at uh, probably the most unique World Cup, I think, that will ever be staged. Um, um, 32 teams in the one city, uh, eight of the best stadiums in the world, all within 25 kilometres of each other, uh, going to one or two matches uh, every day and enjoying a feast of... World Cup football, the biggest and best sporting event in the world, Rob. Well, let's have a little taste now of what a Grenegon Army tour sounds like. This is you and your uh, your tour guest, Michael, in Doha over the past couple of weeks. Uh, if you missed this one, listen to this. You're not going to want to miss the next one. Adrian, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Oz Kid Nerd, who's made himself uh, a bit of a celebrity back in Australia, has just joined me 16 minutes from kickoff. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really nervous. These Peruvian fans are absolutely nuts. This is, I've never experienced an atmosphere like this before. Okay, half time, Australia nil, Peru nil. I wanted to talk to Ozkit Nerd, but he's lost his voice. Adrian, AKA Oznik, Ozkit Nerd has lost his voice. He cannot speak anymore. So I've got Vince DeSantis, who's uh, been enjoying the sights of Qatar with us. So uh, we had a uh, an electric, atmospheric uh, match against UAE in the half time. We're nil nil. I tell you what, Vince, we're pretty nervous before the game, but we're right in this. Oh, for me, the first half has been great. It's been very even with uh, uh, Peru. They've not been um, underdone in any ways. I think they're fantastic. Like they're, they're controlling the game well. I think that uh, uh, every player's playing well. Uh, uh, Martin Boyle has made a couple of good breaks on the right hand side and uh, beautiful crosses. Uh, yeah, I think we've um, we've been at least on par with them, if not even on on top of them. Okay, I'm here with Matt Stacey, who's uh, driven the six hours from Riyadh in Saudi Arabia to join us for a few days in Doha. And uh, Matt's a regular listener to 
box to box. Uh, apparently, uh, we keep you entertained in Riyadh when you've got nothing to do. That's all right, mate. Um, I'm a regular listener week to week. Yeah, I love keeping up with the um, Australian football from overseas. So um, I'm stoked to be here in Doha. What a game I just watched. Well, we're at the end of 90 minutes. It's uh, nil-nil. We're going ahead in the extra time. And how are you feeling? What, what, what are your thoughts? Just uh, let everybody around the world know how you're feeling at the end of extra uh, normal time when we're just about to go into extra time. Well, I'm as proud as I could be of the guys. I think they have played the best they had for this whole campaign. And I'm to a man, they just played out of their skins and showed what it means. Put on that Australian shirt. So I just hope now this next 30 minutes or with penalties, we get the result reserved because we've put in a decent shift tonight. Oh. Fuck, 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 fuck. Fucking go to the World Cup, mate! Come on! Andrew Redmayne, the king of football! Oh, my God. My God. Can you believe that? Oh, fucking hell. Well, here I am with Adrian, a.k.a. Auskit Nerd, who's become a... Australian celebrity uh, through this tour program in Doha, Qatar. We're about 20 hours after the game. Um, we're all exhausted. It's been a journey, hasn't it? I just wanted to speak with Adrian and uh, just to get your feelings on everything that's transpired this week, but importantly, just what it means to you that the Socceroos have qualified for our fifth consecutive FIFA World Cup. Look, it's such a special special thing to be in the stadium live to <clears throat> to watch the boys play um, I was there for Iraq in 2013 I was there for Honduras in 2017 so to be here in Qatar to watch the boys you know really up against it the, the 20,000 plus Peruvian fans were phenomenal the, the, the noise in the stadium was amazing and the way that the, the team was able to just block all of that out focus on the football um, and Andrew Redmayne I mean w- what an icon comes on 119th minute and does his job and steps up and that's what being an Australian is all about. How fantastic did that sound? We'll make sure if uh, you're not already on the Green and Gold Army mailing list then jump on the website and get it on now and uh, make sure you keep yourself up to date for all the action. Someone who will be there of course is one of the men that got us there. His name is Jackson Irvine. If you've been listening to Box to Box for the last few years you've heard him plenty of times because he's a good friend of the show and he's made a special effort. Just landed in Australia. He's been picked up by his mum, our good friend Danielle and she said, Jackson, you've got to talk to the boys from Box to Box and he's agreed to do it. So after the break, stick around. Jackson Irvine, one of the heroes of Doha, will be joining us to chat through just what a special night it was on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, as we said off the top of the show, what a roller coaster ride it's been. The giddy highs of top of the qualifying group last October to just snatching third spot in the group by a solitary point. We were all on the edge of our seats during the course of the week of Michael was, of course, in Doha. But a man who wasn't on the edge of his seat is our very next guest. He's been with us on Box to Box since day one. He's just landed in Australia. One of the heroes of the hour, Jackson Irvine. Welcome back home and congratulations, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. So good to be back. It's surreal, isn't it, really? I mean, uh, we uh, we all were uh, with you in your corner. Uh, the, the rest of Australia took a little bit of time to catch up. After that UAE game, the press just exploded. But uh, if you had have been in Australia, you would have just seen the reaction. I'm sure the rest of the family, your mum in particular, has 
has told you how big it's been. But uh, from a personal point of view, this is your second World Cup. Uh, just explain to us the feeling after that um, that last uh, uh, penalty was saved by uh, uh, the the great Grey Wiggle himself. Yeah, um, it was like difficult to put into words. Um, that feeling is in, like it's impossible to recreate. It can only be experienced through these moments in football and um, as you said, everything that's happened over the last few years and um, to come down to a, to one kick of the ball, um, you know, in that moment, just, yeah, as I said, the, the emotions were, were sky high and everybody was just, yeah, ecstasy. Jackson, you've left me in Doha all by myself, mate. Um, I've, <laughs> all the teams left me. I've, I've just, I've just got a few of the fans that are remaining who fly back uh, tomorrow. But uh, congratulations. Um, I, I want to ask you about the cramping because um, we, yeah. uh, uh, all of the the tour group, were talking about um, just the impact of um, uh, fatigue on on Australia because of the uh, the match six days before against the UAE, and um, we sort of talked about the players that we thought um, uh, were going to do most of the workload and, and, and you certainly did but I, I mean we were I was watching you you, you went down you, you sort of seemed to get over it you got up I mean and then you were uh, you, you know you had sort of maybe a minute or two to, to sort of cope with the crampy but just tell us what was happening there because um, uh, we were all we were all just uh, praying that it would go away for you yeah oh, I was just total body breakdown um, just well at the end of a game like that, as you say, it's fatigue. It's everything. Everything hits you all at once. Like and um, yeah, I don't. I've never had, never experienced anything like that before in my, in my life. If I cramp like that, like I genuinely couldn't. I was just praying for the referee to blow his whistle to just get it, get it over with for that last sixty seconds or whatever it was. But um, yeah, I said it's part of the game and fatigue and everything is is, is part of it. As you say, it's to do a lot of work in over the last couple of weeks, but you know, for guys like Aaron, who's you know not played not played football in the last three months, to go through ninety and one hundred and twenty over those two games, testament to the sports science, the staff, everyone we work with to keep us, you know, keep everybody, you know, just scrape through um, the two games and get us over the line. I obviously, got an opportunity to um, spend a little bit of time with you guys at training, and I was. Um... What stood out to me was just how calm and um, relaxed uh, everybody was uh, in the lead up to the match uh, against uh, Peru. Um, you obviously knew there was uh, plenty of Peruvians in town, but can you just take us into the atmosphere of the group as you built built up to the game, and um, and just how important it is to remain sort of a level headed and calm in uh, in uh, all the chaos that's happening around you. Uh, well, it's something we talked about a lot in the build-up to these two games. You know, some of the older players, myself, Matty Ryan, Trent Bailey and Aaron and Lex, you know, we, we just kind of thought about the environment and what we could kind of bring to the couple of weeks to add an extra edge. And um, although it was a, we do have a very um, relaxed um, culture amongst the group, uh, what I will say for the last two weeks is that the intensity has just been through the roof, like with everything we've done and, I think if you ask any of the players, um, if you'd have asked anybody in the build-up to the two games, like how the boys look and how they're feeling, they'd have just looked at you and just said they're on it. Like that's all I can say about it. We were just we were just on it from day day one when we got into camp. We just knew what the job was, knew what we had to do. We'd be, um, yeah, just brought an extra little edge to maybe not something that we've lacked, but maybe something that we just could have um, 
that we needed to add for these two games and uh, we had it in abundance. Jackson, just the last one for me, then we go back to Willem. Um, uh, over here, the fans who've uh, lived every uh, moment of your journey in the last couple of weeks, but uh, more importantly, um, since the last 1,010 days since we started our qualification campaign, um, we've just been looking at each other, smiling, uh, without saying anything. Everybody knows uh, why we're feeling so good. Um, just that uh, feeling of relief, um, which was probably the overwhelming feeling that I had, um, just that we we got through, but... Um, are you just found yourself looking across at one of your teammates or one of your coaches or one of the administration staff who've been with you on the whole journey and just, you know, you meet each other's eyes and just a gentle little smile. You don't really need to say anything, do you? Everybody's feeling the same the same joy at the moment? Uh, yeah, a lot of what you're explaining, that mutual understanding of what it is you've achieved that sometimes is difficult to put into words. But, you know, the people that have been there and been a part of it know what, what we had to do to to get this done yeah there was a lot of that there was a lot of a lot of tears a lot of um yeah a lot of smiles a lot more tears again and then it's uh it's been yeah it was just that when you come through that at the end as i say it's just an emotional just an emotional wreck you're just physically exhausted emotionally exhausted and you know you obviously saw some of the scenes on the pitch with kind of players breaking down and that's just you know, it just all bubbles to the surface um, once once you get once you get over the line, and um, oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of a lot of those moments uh, shared over the over the next few months. Jackson, we've seen the photographic comparison between Monday night and the 2005 generation winning their penalty shootout, and you're playing the Harry Kuehl role. You're in pretty much the same position. You've got the hair tied back, and at least initially you <laughs> seemed a little bit calmer off the line uh, to bolt off, and maybe the cramp played a, a part in that. Um, we know you were there on that night in 2005 at Olympic Park as well. So, again, to use that word surreal, was it a bit surreal to see yourself and your teammates uh, in resemblance to, to the legends of our game? Yeah, totally surreal. Um, you know, we something we'd tried to tap into was you know memories of you know previous Socceroos teams and what that what that means Socceroos itself as a as a culture and um, you know something we talked about a lot was about creating our own moments creating your own history being a part of something that will you know images like that that will live forever in sport and football in this country and you know the fact that we've now you know had had that moment for ourselves and is it is absolutely surreal and to be honest I think the difference between me and Harry in that picture is Harry's soaking it all in and I'm waiting for the fourth official to say that tell me that Redder's foot was on the line so I could run <laughs> so I could run off. But that's that's the modern game now. You gotta the last thing I want to do is run down that line and then tell him that we get told he has to retake it. So I waited an extra half second just for him to give me the nod and then I was off. Rob mentioned you've been part of our program uh, since the start, and we appreciate that greatly. I remember we had you on off the back of the 2018 World Cup, and Rob asked you who you thought of the next generation would be one to, to kick on and, and drive through for this qualification period. And without hesitation, you said you thought Aidan Rustich was going to be a fantastic player. So could you just touch on how far he's come and how important he's been, particularly over the last 12 months in the public eye, but behind the scenes within the group as well over uh, the few years before that? Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a big character. He's... Obviously, what he's achieved with his club this season is, you know, up there for um, anything achieved by an Australian footballer in Europe. Um, it's pretty special. Uh, he's got an elite mentality of, in terms of self-belief and confidence, um, and you can see it in the way he plays. And he's had to step up massively in, in you know, in, within this this campaign. I think he's one of the ones that's played most game, most of the games, especially with 
players like uh, Tom Missing and, and Aaron Missing at times as well in terms of providing that creative spark. And, you know, he's embraced that role completely and, um, you know, absolutely ice cold when it's come to the key moments. And, you know, as I say, that's, that's down to his, his uh, self-belief, his mentality. And, um, you know, he's been a huge asset for us over the last few years and he will continue to be so. And another player coming through who you're going to start to see a lot more of is Connor Metcalf. How excited are you to welcome him to St. Pauli and play a big role in uh, in his development day-to-day uh, as one of the next generation of soccer midfielders? Yeah, super excited to have Connor over in Germany. Um, looking forward to I think he arrived this week and um, I'm, I'm, I'm off for a little bit longer. But, uh, it's um, yeah, it's going to be great to work with, with an Aussie on the day-to-day, especially um, in the same position and someone I can, you know, uh, have an influence on and, and hopefully help his career progress as, um, over the over the coming years. And um, as long as he doesn't put me out the team, that's, 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 the, only, that's the only one. Hey, uh, Jackson, um, it's back to the night itself. Uh, what a lot of us were surprised to hear in, in the post-match interviews with Arnie uh, was that uh, Matty Ryan only found out that he was going to be subbed out of the game when his number went up. So we're assuming that that was the case for everybody else. Uh, how shocked were you when you saw uh, the switch happening and, uh, and and how did you feel at the time? Uh, to be honest, yeah, obviously surprised, but um, not surprised to an extent, I guess. I think when you're in these moments, your focus is so high and um, you, your mind is so completely on the job that it's like, right, this is the decision that's been made. We practiced penalties two or three times over the last two weeks, obviously knowing that we were going to be, there's a chance we we're going to be coming into this situation. Um, and Redis saved both of mine, I think, in the, in the build-up to the game. So I was, I was <laughs> confident when I, saw his, when I saw him coming on. But um, having spoken to Redis afterwards, I think he was aware that that was a possibility and um, he'd done his prep. And, um, you know, we've got total trust in the decisions made by the staff and um, it's paid off in a huge way. And, you know, but what I will say is for Matty Ryan, it's a testament to his leadership and the way he's managed himself over the last few years to, in you know, such a vital moment, 119th minute, captain of the country, to walk off the pitch, look at your mate and say good luck when you didn't know something like that was going to happen. We've seen it in previous with other players in clubs and country situations where they've um, maybe not handled it so well, but he was, uh, yeah, as you say, it's the kind of person he is and um, they probably gave Redders all the confidence he needed as well to go on and finish the job. Yeah, pure class it was and uh, we know Michael was one of the spectators wearing the green and gold uh, in the stadium but uh, 13,000 they're suggesting uh, Peruvian fans were there I, I read an article uh, uh, from the local embassy that said there are 200 residents of, of Qatar uh, from Peru so uh, th- that atmosphere that vibe uh, just how intimidating was it uh, on the night and and, uh, and and were you expecting that kind of crowd to turn up had you had you got any intel from the coaching staff that it was likely to happen yeah we were kind of um, prepared that they were going to have a good travel and support um you know, we, we actually spoke about it just as players at one point just to make sure that no one's caught by surprise and it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to have that kind of feel to it. Um, it wasn't overly intimidating. You know, they, they bring a very party atmosphere. Um, it's a very good vibe in the stadium when, um, you know, similar to when we played them at the World Cup and um, not quite as hostile as maybe when we went to Honduras and places like that. Um, so, no, it was great to have that energy in, in the stadium and, um, it gives everybody a lift for the players. It makes you again recognise the magnitude of the situation when 
when you're playing in front of uh, yeah that kind of that kind of crowd. So uh, they were they were fantastic. Excellent, Jackson. We could talk for the rest of the day, but we know you've literally just got off the plane and you've really indulged us to to make the time to to have a chat to us. Uh, please thank your mother, Danielle, who I <laughs> and uh, indulged on our friendship to to make this happen, mate. Um, enjoy the the family reunion uh, when when you get back home and uh, and the next week ahead and uh, and the coming months as as you prepare for for this World Cup. We'll all be in your corner as we have been since day one, and uh, mate. Uh, we're just so proud of you, all the boys, and and so happy that uh, that you've had this uh, this happen to to you guys. You deserve it, mate. My pleasure, guys. Thanks thanks for having me, and um, you know, just glad that you know we've given everybody in Australian football another another memory, and um, you know, a good a good a good week ahead, and as you say, a good exciting few months for everyone. So. Um, yeah, thanks again. I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Will Jackson Irvine, one of the heroes of our Socceroos, uh, beating Peru to qualify for their fifth consecutive World Cup, which will be in Qatar in November and December later this year. And we'll bring it all to you and we'll talk to Jackson, no doubt, again soon. So what a wonderful opportunity it was to, to have a chat to him just off the plane. And, and thanks, mate, for, for joining us. Up next, stick around. We're going to talk to Ron Smith, uh, a, a real uh, elder statesman of the game in this country. He is a former interim from manager of the Socceroos himself, technical director. He knows everything that's gone on, is happening now and is likely to happen in future in football. And we're really looking forward to chatting to Ron about just how he thought it all came together on that special night in Qatar. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and as we continue the uh, Socceroos theme throughout the show, what a great chat it was we just had with Jackson Irvine, fresh off the plane from Doha, and uh, what a uh, what a charming young man he is, as well as an outstanding footballer. A man who has had a long career, though, in football, set the scene for players like Jackson Irvine uh, with a, a lot of his contributions over many, many decades. He was the interim manager of the Socceroos at one point, technical director of the team, as well as uh, a glittering array of, of career highlights in the game. And, of course, that man we're talking about uh, is Ron Smith. And we welcome Ron back to the show. How are you, Ron? I'm very good, thank you. Ron, so the um, the lead up to this game, I mean, we've we've charted the 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 course in the show already uh, this week. Yeah. That uh, you know we were at the, the top of uh, of Group uh, B. It looked like everything was ahead of us, and uh, and and simply picking up enough points to qualify directly was uh, all that Graham Arnold's men needed to do. And, and then it all fell apart. So I guess before we get into the game itself, um, I'm interested in in your view on on those pivotal moments, whether it was Harry Sutar's ACL injury at Parramatta that night, yeah. that uh, that that led to uh, to to uh, what ended up happening, whether it was uh, an overly aggressive end to the game in Saitama, when perhaps uh, uh, going for the point or accepting at least uh, the draw would have been the way to go. So, so your view on what put Australia into this position before we get into the game itself and how uh, how uh, the, uh, the the coaching staff engineered the win. Well, it's interesting when you look back over um, a qualifying series because a lot depends how the draws come out and when you play certain teams. And Japan had a poor start. And so uh, Saudi and Australia were at the top and everyone sort of kind of knew that, well, Japan are not going to continue 
to play poorly. And it a lot depends on when you get to play the the what you might call the favourites in the group. And our draw meant that we didn't meet them until late on, by which time Japan had recovered from their hiccups at the start, but were good enough to make up the points. And then we had to play Saudi and Japan in really what you might call, you know, make or break games to make those top two positions. And unfortunately, we didn't get there. Um, we had the same situation four years ago, if you remember. Um, and we had to go through the playoffs in the group with um, Syria and how close that was. And then we had to go to the playoff um, with Honduras. And so we followed exactly the same pathway. But this time it was a little more difficult, so to speak, because we had the the fifth place team in South America, which when you look back historically, we've always you know, had a battle with. If you go back to the earlier World Cups against um, uh, Uruguay when we did qualify and Argentina when we didn't. So, you know, it really is a bit of a lottery. Let's put it that way um, with the draw. Uh, Ron, um, let's just reflect a little bit on the match and unfolded. I must, the obvious question to ask you was, were you surprised when uh, Matthew Ryan was substituted in the final uh, two minutes of extra time? Did did that even surprise you, Ron? It, uh, well, I think it surprised everybody. But when it happened, I've, uh, my immediate reaction was, what a good decision. And one of the, one of the awesome things about um, facing penalties is the size of the goalkeeper. And if you've got a, a bigger goalkeeper with a bigger wingspan, it puts an element of doubt in the mind of the kicker. When you've got a smaller goalkeeper, and, and Matty Ryan um, is slightly smaller in that respect to Redders, who, who is slightly taller and got big arms and so on, and he likes to do the movement on the line. Um, I just thought that was a masterstroke by Arnie. And yeah, um, it, it proved to be a, a real masterstroke, didn't it? It certainly did. And being over here in um, in Doha and um, seeing um, you know the games live, um, yeah, I, I just um, have enormous amount of admiration for Aaron Moy. He had a uh, not yes. the most ideal preparation into these two games. But can you just talk about the significance of his contribution across both games? The fact that he's played every minute off the preparation he had. Um, yeah. You know, what sort of um, strength of character, but also um, the ability to just knuckle down and focus on his task. Uh, can you yeah. just reflect on that for us? Yeah. Well, I, I think um, when you look at what's happened to Aaron, uh, for all the reasons that we know about, you know, for somebody who hasn't played a serious competitive match for months and has gone out of his way, um, and we've had to make uh, special arrangements for to do conditioning work and all that sort of stuff, I think it shows a really tough mentality and resilience. What I really liked as well was the way Arnie um, has changed the shape of the team. Over there, some of these games, he's, he's changed the shape of the team, the way they've played. Like sometimes we've had players or strikers, if you like, playing infield a bit with high fullbacks. And last, you know, the last game, he played with a conservative, narrow back four to support Aaron. And then he pushed 
football, he gave Jackson Irvine um, and Trustich the opportunity to play up a bit higher. So we had wingers. Um, and it's shown really good flexibility. And I thought Aaron uh, was outstanding the other night in the way that he received the ball. I was watching him and I don't think he would have got into three-quarter pace the whole game because he just strolled around. But he provided the link between the back four and the, the other players. And we all know about his, his the qualities of his passing and so on. But he kept the ball and he slowed the play down when he had to. Um, and he made some telling passes. So I just thought it was it was a typical Aaron Moy performance, but um, outstanding considering what he's had to go through. I guess the question on a lot of people's lips is, um, is did Peru play to the level that you were expecting them to? Did we bring them to our level or were uh, they intimidated by... Uh, the expectation and uh, and and overly nervous on the night. It, it, most of us hoped that Australia could win and thought that you know if the game was played a half a dozen times, we'd probably win one of them. Um, what's your assessment of Peru? Um, how they played and and how uh, the coaching staff managed to to develop a game plan uh, that uh, that got the result in the end. Well, this was a unique situation because it was a one-off. That's never happened before. And I saw an interview with Graham today um, and he talked about the advantages psychologically of being familiar with playing in Doha, playing in air-conditioned stadiums. And our guys have done, they've been there and done that, whereas Peru haven't. And in a one-off game, you've always got, <laughs> you know, a great chance you could see both teams were conservative, and rightly so, even though we pressed really high um, and dominated the game for the opening 15 to 20 minutes. It was a question then, well, you know Peru have got quality. They're going to come back at you, which they did. But I, I just thought the, the, you know, the team defended really well when they had to. And we were, we were growing in confidence as the game went on. And I felt that on the other side, you know, the commentary team was saying at half time, oh, the coach won't be happy with this. You know, they've barely had a shot at goal. They haven't created much and they've been on the back foot for a large part of it. Um, and I think this is the advantage of having this one-off game. When you think previously, you know, we've had to play home and away. As in 2005, you know, we had all the fiascos of charter flights and then Uruguay not getting on one. Um, that didn't happen this time. And inwardly, and I, you know, with friends of mine, we obviously talk about these things. I said, I think we've got a great chance in a one-off playoff game against a team that's ranked much higher than us in the FIFA world rankings. And that's what, that's what happened. So I'm just thankful that we had a one-off game and not a, a, two-leg, you know, playoff series. Ron, fantastic to get your insights on the Socceroos. It'll be remiss of us to have you on and not ask you about Australian uh, underage football. The under-23s, as we know, uh, two wins away from a second consecutive Olympic uh, Games as we speak. Uh, at worst, they will be in the third-place playoff. The side's being led at the moment by Trevor Morgan before he hands over to Tony Vidmar. wanted to ask you about Trevor. He seems to shoulder an enormous load in, in Australian youth development. So, what traits do you see in him uh, that make him such a successful uh, underage coach? Well, Trevor's spent 
20 years in the bleachers, as we say. And he's he's been involved in the development of a lot of players, including lads like Aaron Moy, who he had at Westfields, and many others. And he's had a history in development, a bit like myself, you know, Trevor and I go whack. Um, he's now had the opportunity to take over the under-17s, uh, and he, he did a, a wonderful job with them. And he's also shown that capacity at a senior level. Uh, so for those that know him, he's a very, very competent coach. He's a student of the game. And I'm just so pleased that he's, he's stepped in and he's taken the team at short notice and they've, they've got to the position where they're at. And I, I hope they make the finals. And we know we had a long drought from 2008, our last Olympics appearance until last year in Tokyo. Hopefully by this time next week, we'll be at a second consecutive game. So how important is it and what sort of impact does that have uh, on youth development to continue to make Olympic Games and Junior World Cups, not as one-offs, but consistently? What sort of impact does that have uh, on the pathway group on group? Uh, It's massive because you cannot buy the experience of playing in a Youth World Cup under 17s or under 20s. And similarly with the Olympics. When you look at the data, the number of players that go from the Olympic team into the senior team eventually, it doesn't always happen straight away because somebody can play in the senior team for 10 years, 15 years. And so people get their opportunities at senior level a bit later sometimes. But it's it's all, you know, about getting the experience of playing in tournaments against the best in the world. And there isn't a substitute for that. We know how well the women's game's going in this country. Yes, it was disappointing at the Asian Cup, but we've got the World Cup coming up. We've got some of the best players in the world uh, from a female point of view. But from a men's point of view, what's your assessment uh, of the state of the nation as we speak? That's a difficult one to answer in with a short statement. But we transitioned over a period of years from having what we used to call centralised programs to academies and I've got to be honest, I'm not convinced that that is the best way. But I mean, because I experienced so much work in state-based programs and the AIS and so on, I think we need to find a mix where we can still do a lot of good work with the best players that they don't get just playing in academies. And I think that's where the bridge needs to be formed in the cooperation with clubs at all times. And if we, if we have an opportunity to get around the table and, and discuss the benefits of the national teams and where that's going, then hopefully we can come up with a program or a player development system that allows the best to play with the best. And I think that really is what's missing. So hopefully um, we can go that way. I will say this, though, as, as a as a a thought-provoking comment. Our issues are not just um, kind of restricted to Australia. I think the developed world is having a problem in developing players because we've got a whole generation of people who have grown up in a totally different environment to, say, the golden generation, which is nearly 20 years ago now. What those players did as young people is like chalk and cheese with what young people do in this generation. And it's not their fault. They are just a victim of society. And I think this is what's impacting uh, right across the world in developed nations. So 
I think we need to take a broad picture. Uh, it's very easy to be critical of the quality of players, but um, as I always say, it's not their fault. And so we need to look at our system, our system, and how we can modify it and adapt with changes in society. Yeah, and as I expected, um, a considered and and thoughtful response from you, Ron, as opposed okay. for uh, you know the headlines that we we get from so many others. It's a complex question and a complex is, answer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, I think um, listening to your words and reading between the lines, um, it's not all good and it's not all bad. So, uh, um, yeah, we've got uh, at least uh, a lot to look forward to in in the short to medium term in both the, the women's and the men's game. So, uh, uh, we'll enjoy. The fact that we've, um, I think the fact that we've qualified for the World Cup is, is one thing that we should say that's fantastic, but it's, it, it doesn't mean to say that everything's honky-dory. Uh, we're far from it, and that's the reality. And we've had two World Cup campaigns now where we've qualified at the last throw of the dice. And in previous World Cups, we were qualifying a year beforehand, you know, and, and I think we need to take stock of that as a nation and with everybody contributing, because you can't do things in isolation. Mm. Everyone has to have the national team's interest at heart. And I think that's really the message. Yeah, excellent point, Ron. Excellent point. Hey, mate, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show, Ron. Uh, um, we always uh, appreciate your time and uh, uh, enjoy the coming months. We've got a lot to look forward to. We would have enjoyed the World Cup anyway, but we're going to enjoy just yeah. a, a little bit better. more. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Okay, thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ron Smith, uh, one of the, the, the real gentlemen of football in this country. Uh, he's seen it all. Um, he's done it all in football it's great to talk to him okay stick around after the break yes we have been trying to keep a celebratory mood uh throughout uh, the show this week but uh, our friends across the dish uh, they're lamenting what might have been and the man who is the voice of sky sports new zealand jason pine is going to join us next to do the post-mortem on uh, where it went wrong for the all whites against costa rica over there in doha so stick around jason pine next on box to box Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And uh, when we were preparing the lineup for this week's show, we were hoping against hope that it would just be wall-to-wall celebration. Uh, um, and we uh, we got the first part of the job done when the Socceroos managed to beat Peru. But... Uh, uh, sadly, when our brothers across the Tasman uh, went up against Costa Rica, they came up just a little bit short. And in World Cup qualifiers, a little bit short is all it takes. So they're lamenting what might have been after the All Whites lost that game 1-0. And a man who called every minute of it, rode every bump, the highs and the lows, is the voice of football in New Zealand. Our good mate, Jason Pine from Sky Sports New Zealand. Jason, sorry, mate. Look, guys, I can only first of all start by congratulating um, Australia on, on World Cup progress. We watched that game with uh, <laughs> with open mouths and uh, and crossed fingers over here, I can tell you. And um, obviously you'll talk, you know, a lot about uh, Andrew Redmayne's heroics and, and the, the fact that uh, Australia are off to the World Cup. Yeah, just sorry that we won't be joining you there at the big party in November. 
Um, I think New Zealand gave an excellent account of themselves against Costa Rica. Um, a couple of things didn't go our guys' way. And um, as you say, the smallest of margins means so much when you come to knockout football. So, yeah, it was deflating and, uh, and demoralising. I can only imagine the devastation of the players. But, um, yeah, there's been a, um, a bit of a flat feeling, should I say, or can I say, over the side of the, the ditch today. Yeah, and for good reason, mate. Uh, I guess the situation is that in Australia, um, those of us like you in New Zealand, uh, so so uh, bound up in the the, the journey, uh, we know every moment and every qualifying match. But most of the country jumps on the bandwagon at the last minute. Uh, had all of New Zealand jumped on the Danny Hay bandwagon, um, and was uh, there a massive uh, television audience for the game? Yeah, exactly the same as as what happens over there. Um, as you guys know, you know rugby union is is um, is king over here, and you know we had an all black squad announcement this week, and that that kind of um, overshadowed just about everything else. But I can tell you, in the last twenty four hours, um, the football has led every uh, sports bulletin. It led the the major networks news bulletins tonight on television. You know the the events of um, of a few hours earlier in Doha, and yes, every. Everyone who who I talked to and and the you know from what I could see around the country, everybody just stopped this morning at at six a.m. local time to to gather around a television and and watch the game. Haven't seen the viewing figures, but I know they'll be similar to what you guys saw in Australia in terms of the percentage of population tuning in. Um, it was just a shame, as I say, that at the end of it all, we couldn't have the party that you guys had. You know, obviously, as I say, we were delighted to see Australia go through. We would have um, loved to have had a um, a similar party over here today. Piney, I was uh, lucky enough to be at the game and uh, sitting behind the New Zealand bench, so we saw everything unfold. Uh, one comment, um, uh, I just want to pay tribute to the, the Kiwis. You guys uh, gave everything out there, and um, I thought they made the running for most of the game, and um, and really, um, you had a lot of good opportunities that you could have buried, and, um, and the game could have been different, especially... Um, probably from you know um, the 10-minute the mark through to the 35-minute mark, I thought New Zealand had a very strong period. But a couple of observations from me was that um, it was very clear the Costa Ricans uh, are staying in the hotel that our two group is staying in. And um, it was very clear to me that the Costa Ricans um, were... Uh, I think they took a lot out of the Peru game uh, in, from the point of view that uh, Peru may have underestimated Australia. And, and I did get the sense that Costa Rica were not going to underestimate New Zealand. And it was a very boisterous warm-up by the Costa Ricans, extremely physical, one that's very strange. And they were very uh, animated through, um, you know, the, the national anthems and and through the start of the game. And and I guess that's why um, I think everybody who was following New Zealand in the stadium was really disappointed with the first goal because it came out of nothing and um, it was um, probably a soft goal. Did you get that sense calling it that... Um, uh, I don't know whether the, the you felt the players were um, maybe just not right on from the word go, but other than that uh, first five minutes, you know, then New Zealand had the, the better of the first half. Yeah, Joe, I, I agree um, with on all points, really. Yeah, watching the national anthems was uh, really instructive. And um, as you say, the Costa Ricans were so feverish and fired up during the singing of their national song. By contrast, the All-Whites boys were a study in steely determination, but yeah, the early goal was just a, a real killer for New Zealand, and that it was a, it was defendable. You know, it wasn't a um a well constructed goal necessarily. Um, you know, Bennett got away from Tuiloma down the left and got the ball in, but you know, Joel Campbell is not favourite 
to get there. There's enough defenders around to clear that yeah. ball. But yeah. on the positive side, as you saw, you know, the response was immediate and um, and really impressive. I, I don't think I've seen a New Zealand side play that way and take it to a team ranked far higher than they probably ever. You know, it's as good as I've seen New Zealand play against a um, a top quality football side. And yeah, the goal that was chalked off was was clearly a you know a, a key talking point. Um, you know, the the goal went in, and I thought it was everything that New Zealand deserved. I thought they deserved to to be level at the break, but uh, VAR and the referee had different ideas. Um, but yeah, the the I think you're right about Costa Rica. They were determined not to do a Peru. Um, you know, and and underestimate a, a lower-ranked opponent. And um, and at the end of the day, they're the ones heading to Qatar and, and not New Zealand. But as I've said, as i said a couple of times, I think New Zealand can be uh, can be pretty proud of its football team today and the way that they, they um, you know, conducted themselves on the field and and really ran a, you know, a pretty decent football side fairly close. Uh, sitting behind the bench, uh, um, the Barbarossa's red card was right in front of us and I thought it was a straight red because uh, we had a very good view of it. Um, uh, how did you see that from the commentary? Did you think uh, that was a decision, the, the VAA call on the on the red card? 100%. Yeah, 100%. You can't leave your feet and, um, and put studs on somebody's ankle. Um, there's no question that that is a red card. Um, you know, I, and I don't think there's any argument over here about that one. Um, you know, on first look, it's always hard to tell. But once, um, you know, it was obviously a yellow and, and born out of frustration, really, from Costa, I think, who'd come off the bench and had a couple of um, heavy touches and, and just wanted to get in the game and impact the game. And, and frustration got the better of him and he lunged in. And, and yeah, like I say, there's no argument, uh, no defence for, for it. It's a, it's a red card. And I don't think anybody in the New Zealand side has tried to, uh, tried to say otherwise. It was just another um, <laughs> another layer of of disappointment. Having said that, I thought the keepers were pretty good value for ten men. I don't know what you thought, Edge, but I thought they were pretty good value ten v well, eleven. Was, yeah. when, you're in, when you're in neutral, and you know, obviously we've got a we love our cousins in in New Zealand, so uh, we were all uh, in your camp. But I've got to say, uh, I was enthralled at. Uh, Watching how um, the, the the leaders in the in your group uh, really did sort of bounce back, and I th- I thought you were incredibly fantastic with uh, with ten men. I thought Bell and Tulioma had you know stepped up and really tried to push the game forward, and uh, and you could have had a couple of goals uh, when you were t- with ten men. And um, you know, the, the, I, I think as a playing group, uh, you guys uh, you got everything out of your talent, and um, yeah, and I'm feeling. Um, yeah, I'm feeling disappointed for you because I, I I do as a neutral see it as a lost opportunity for the Kiwis. I thought you had enough chances to get something out of that game, and um, you know, and and like uh, like the Socceroos years and years ago, I'm old enough to remember, you know, in being in Oceania, it's it's a long time to get another peak event like that that creates uh, so much uh, goodwill and interest for for the sport in uh, based on you know the uh, the Oceania um, pathway to the World Cup. Yeah, and I think that'll be what has kept Danny Hay awake all night is is the lost opportunity, the fact that they they could have won that game. You know, if they just had slightly more quality in the uh, in the penalty area, you know, they had some good chances. Uh, the creation of the chances was good. Uh, there were at least three or four openings. You know, in, in in the first half alone that I can think of where a goal could have been scored. Same goes for the second half when Chris Wood had a couple of half chances, you know, on another day they go in. So just a slightly, you know, higher degree of quality in the attacking third might have made all the difference. I don't think you can doubt the heart of the team. 
I don't think you can doubt the way they approached the game and the way they implemented the game plan and the way they wanted to play with the ball rather than be just a passive participant in the game. So, yeah, it's all these all these words have been written and spoken and will continue to be over the next few days as the post-mortems continue. But, yeah, you're right, Edge, that's the thing. we now got to wait another four years. It's, <laughs> it's a very long time. It is a long time. But uh, I just want to um, uh, ask you about Marco uh, Stamenic. I mean, uh, he came on as a substitute, but we were all taken uh, by... His reaction after the game, um, he walked up into the stands looking for his parents and saw his dad and embraced his dad. Oh, um, I think it would have been at least four or five minutes, uh, just tears streaming down his eyes. Everybody in the ground was was just uh, feeling for the young fella. But can you tell us a little bit about him and his football? And I thought when he came onto the ground, he, he contributed as much as he could. But it just shows you how deep the feeling for the sport runs in New Zealand. I know, um, like the Socceroos, uh, you play second fiddle at times to the, the bigger code. Um, but, uh, you know, football's got a proud history in New Zealand. And, um, you know, I could see that clearly by just the reaction uh, to uh, the loss from Marco and uh, and his family. It was, was really quite something to see. Yeah, I mean, what a prospect, first of all. Um, what a player he will be for New Zealand, Marco Stamenich, still only 20 years old, but already, you know, a high-caliber player. Yeah, his parents, uh, Nick and Kalala, were both there. Um, I've had a little bit to do with them. There were, um, I think, a couple of Marco's grandparents were there as well. So a good throng of the Stamenich family had made the, made the trip, as had a lot of the other players' families as yes. well. I spotted, very, yeah, very spotted a number of uh, yeah. mums and dads and, and hangers on in the crowd there and and as you would have seen as well, Edge, and, and, and I've spoken to a couple of them over social media in the last 12 hours, and clearly they're devastated for their sons um, and, and their brothers, but um, but very, very proud at the same time. Um, look, I, I think, you know, guys like Marco Stamenich are, are, are part of a new wave of New Zealand footballers, and you don't want to call it a golden generation because, you know, the, the weight that that places on the shoulders of those players. But in, in the likes of Stamenich and... Joe Bell and Matt Garbutt and Ben Wayne and Eli Just and others, there is a, a wave of footballers coming through who don't now just want to play the old-fashioned Kiwi way, which has always been, you know, make yourself very difficult to break down, be physical, compete for every ball and sometimes just park a big bus in front of the goal. These guys, as you would have seen, want the football at their feet. They want to play. They want to be creative. They enjoy taking the game to the opposition and and Marco Stamenich, yeah, he could play another another ten or twelve years for New Zealand and and go to you know go through two or three more World Cup cycles. So yes, disappointment today for him and his family and all the other players and their families too. But but there is much more to come from this this group of players. From me to you, Piney, from uh, all the Aussies uh, who are in the football industry, we we um, we feel in your pain and um, um, maybe I'll leave the last comments to you about where to. Um, for New Zealand football, you know, what's next for New Zealand football? Where to from here? But we'd love just to get your thoughts on um, the emotion of the, the event for you, but also, you know, where to from New Zealand football? I think there's great prospects. I think we're, there's a great group of young talent there. I think the team's got a lot, a lot, of, lot of potential. 
Yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you what we are looking forward to is this um, Trans-Tasman um, uh, doubleheader coming up in September where um, obviously we welcome the Socceroos across to uh, to Eden Park in Auckland. There's a game on your side of the Tasman as well. So that doubleheader will come into sharp focus. And yeah, it would have been great if it had been a, you know, a, a celebration for both sides making the World Cup. But uh, that's not to be, but it'll still be a fiercely contested series, I believe, and, and one that's uh, long overdue. You know, we haven't played one another for, for over a decade, which seems, you know, crazy given our geographical closeness. But, yeah, just on the side, look, I feel, you know, I, I've been trying to process today why I felt so deflated and so flat all day. And, and, and I think the reason was because the result was undeserved. You know, if you lose 4-0 to a better side, you shrug your shoulders and accept it and say, you know what, they were just better. They were just better than us. That wasn't the case today. New Zealand bossed that game. If you drop down from out of space and not knowing the two sides' um, places in football's pecking order, you would have said, okay, well, that team in white's in the in the 30s in the world and the other team's up around 100. That's the way the game was being played for, for large periods. It'll hurt. It'll sting. But hopefully it'll provide motivation for these players, as I said before, many of who will go through another two or three, hopefully, World Cup cycle. So let's hope this is a launching pad uh, rather than a finish line. Of course, for some of the players, this will be their last opportunity. The likes of Winston Reid and Michael Boxall and, and others. We don't know whether they'll be back for another go, but for the large majority of this group, they will be. And I think the future of the game over here uh, is in pretty good hands as far as the elite men are concerned. Yeah, we can't let you go without at least acknowledging the fact that there's one World Cup that New Zealand football will participate in, of course, and that's the one that you're co-hosting with Australia next year. So uh, at the very least, uh, while uh, the, the men won't be in Qatar, there's, there's a heap to look forward to with uh, with that World Cup. Are you sensing the, uh, the, the, there's a, some, a build-up already or is that a little too soon um, to, to suggest Oh no, no! I think there's certainly, um, certainly some uh, some momentum starting to build. Clearly, that'll ramp up as um, you know as next year gets closer, and um, as it will, I'm sure, um, for Australian football fans. And, and I think it'll be a similar sort of thing to what happened today. In that, as you mentioned before, you know, a lot of people kind of jumped on the bandwagon late in the piece. Uh, there'll be a lot of people jumping on a big, big bandwagon when um, when the FIFA Women's World Cup rolls into our respective countries next year. Football Ferns got a couple of games coming up um, in the next month or so. so They'll, they'll keep on with their preparations. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure that the average Australian or New Zealand um, sports fan realises what's coming. Uh, I think it'll be a terrific tournament put on by our two countries a year from now and um, can't wait to see how it plays out. Oh, 100%. I mean, Ed just said it many, many times. He's, uh, he's been obviously to many men's World Cups, but uh, uh, Ed, you often say that, that that Australia and New Zealand have got no idea what's about to land on our Absolutely no idea whatsoever. It's, the, it's a massive event, and if uh, the USA get to play in New Zealand, um, uh, I'll tell you what, there'll be at least at least 40,000 uh, US women uh, fans come. It, it creates an amazing atmosphere. Um, Australia, New Zealand, we have no idea what's coming. This is a massive event. It's going to be um, a real um, a moment in, in history for both countries, no doubt about it. Well, Piney, commiserations, mate. Um, it's not often we say that about New Zealand because uh, usually <laughs> the boots are on the other end of the foot when it comes to rugby in particular. Uh, so, uh, But we don't take any delight in this at all. We would love to have been there as well, mate. So, uh, yeah, um, feel the pain. It's uh, not going to be anything but time that'll take it away, mate. And, um, and yeah, we'll talk to you again real soon uh, uh, as the A-League uh, comes up and then the Women's World Cup as well, mate. 
Yeah, look, I, and again, can I just reiterate how delighted we are that uh, that uh, the Socceroos will be going. Um, we'll um, we'll follow, you know, we'll follow you with with uh, great interest. Jump on your bandwagon, maybe even purchase a a yellow and green scarf. Well, maybe that might be taking it a bit too far, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll certainly be supporting from over here. I've uh, been a real pleasure to talk to you guys, and yeah, look forward to doing it again when the A League season rolls around. Good on you, mate. One of the greats of uh, the great voices of international football, Jason Pine. Uh, he's the voice of football in New Zealand from Sky Sports and always super generous uh, with his time. So thanks so much for joining us again, mate. Okay, stick around. Uh, stoppage time is coming up next. Eric hasn't been on the show so far. So we'll be coming in off the long run. How is England? I mean, we know he's not a huge fan of uh, England. Well, he's not a fan at all, to be honest. But uh, uh, that was a shocking result at the Millennium Stadium. Stick around. That is all next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, this is Box to Box. What a fantastic show. I think we're all been looking forward to sitting behind the mic and, and getting stuck into it. We talked to Jackson Irvine, Ron Smith. Sadly, Jason Pine, the Kiwis, couldn't get the job done. But uh, but what a great talent he is. Uh, um, and even in defeat, <laughs> delivers uh, all the the, um, the insights in, uh, in his own inevitable fashion. Before we get started with stoppage time, during which we've got plenty of time, Derek, for the first time this week. Are you feeling comfy and warm at home right now? Well... Don't leave the house when you're under the weather if you're not. Don't worry, Chemist Warehouse, they can come to you with free, fast delivery of Codril, Sudafed and Benadryl. Just spend $10 or more across the Codril, Sudafed or Benadryl range online at chemistwarehouse.com.au today and they will deliver them straight to your door within three hours. That's right, three hours. Free, fast delivery of Codril, Sudafed and Benadryl for a limited time at Chemist Warehouse. Hurry, the promotion ends at 3pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on June the 22nd. So you've got a week to go excludes prescriptions and pharmacist only medicine participating stores only chemist warehouse the great savings are every single day don't forget they've got 300 retail stores nationally they're growing at a fast rate so there's going to be a store opening the use and if there's not one there free shipping online for everything over 50 dollars and 8.95 for orders under 50 boys uh chemist warehouse you know derek i'm sure you've been in there uh in the past week picking up the stuff for the family yeah, absolutely. I'm down there every week, Rob, making use of the great savings. Excellent, mate. Now, Derek, before we get going, we've got Edge over there in Doha. Willem's sort of sitting back reclining in his uh, um, in his bachelor pad. Um, Australia, um, from uh, an expat point of view, you've lived in this country for nearly a decade now. Um, you're very strong in your opinions of the English team, which we will talk about in a moment. Disappointed, of course, that Scotland didn't make it because that's where your you know, real football allegiances lie. I'm just interested um, to know how engaged you are uh, of, about this uh, Socceroos journey and um, what time did you set your alarm for, more importantly, um, to get up for the game? Uh, well, first of all, with a toddler, you don't need an alarm these days, Rob. You just have this uh, sixth sense of uh, when you need to need to get up. And yes, thanks for letting me join stoppage time, listeners. It was a prerequisite of me being able to do this stoppage time that I had to talk Socceroos. So uh, we'll just get this one out of the way. Uh, I was one of the very, very um, smart people, Rob, that um, knew that it was going to be inevitably going to be 
nil-nil um, after extra time. And I just decided to get up and watch the penalties. And that's obviously where all the drama was. So I feel like I still got all of the drama and also a great night's sleep as well. Well, we know you're a Euro snob from way back, so that's exactly what I expected to hear. Are you on the bandwagon, though? I, I, I mean, are you prepared to, to concede that as um, a, an Englishman who lives in Australia with an Australian wife, um, an Australian daughter and an Australian home, um, that you've got some allegiance to the green and gold? I feel like I've got an allegiance via this show, Rob, and uh, obviously I was delighted for all of you and uh, particularly... Michael, of course, will be taking, I'm sure, thousands and thousands of Socceroos fans over to Qatar, and, and I know that will mean a lot to them and, and to him. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very happy from that point of view. Um, obviously, it gives us something really good to talk about with the World Cup and another angle, so I'm happy on that front. But in terms of like my allegiance, Rob, the, the passport hasn't been minted yet, so yeah. I'll keep my counsel for the time being. The World Cup is only months away, um, and to, to get somebody uh, of um, of the you know the uh, the the persuasion of a, of a of a football fan like Derek, what would you say to to convince him to to, to jump on the Australian bandwagon? Well, I mean, the greatest Australians are the ones who choose to make it their home, and Derek's done that. And uh, I know he's got a piece of folding paper in his. Uh, in his um, safe at the moment, which is an Australian passport. So he's got an obligation and, and a duty to get behind the boys. He's uh, he's adopted country. Uh, you know, we are a, a wonderful place in the world. Um, and, you know, Derek, uh, his children are going to grow up in Australia as Australians and um, they're probably going to be Melbourne victory. Oh, no, no, Western United fans rather than Arsenal fans. And they're probably going to get up in the morning and watch uh, the Socceroos rather than Scotland. And and the fact that, I mean, the biggest one for him is that uh, the best Scottish players choose to play for Australia these days. So he really doesn't have an excuse. You know, Martin Boyle and Harry Suter playing for us and we've given them Lyndon Dykes in the trade. So, I mean, if that's not a reason to jump on board the Socceroos, I don't know what else is. Well, I, I actually, uh, do you know what? That is, that is the best, that's the best point. Uh, that anyone's made to be about getting behind the Socceroos so far. So thanks for that. Rob started the campaign very early with me this morning. And, uh, you know, I think he's completely scandalised by the fact that um, I, there hasn't even risen my pulse in, in any meaningful way. But uh, certainly the fact that there are Scots in the Australian team does does um, pique my interest. And the fact that there will be some Scottish representation at the World Cup uh, is certainly something that I will be looking out for. But um, Rob, do you, do you think uh, the one team I won't really be following, but I'll be interested in is also England as well. And Rob was trying to draw me out on that one this morning as well. Just checking in to see if my England opinion and allegiance had changed. And I had to just tell Rob again, no, it hasn't changed. I still think that there are teams supported by a bunch of morons. And um, these morons are now calling for Gareth Southgate's head, um, believe it or not, gents. Uh, Gareth probably didn't want to have the fans back in the ground at Molyneux because they were shouting, you don't know what you're doing, as they uh, ended in a 4-0 humiliation at Molyneux, uh, reminiscent of that classic game uh, where Puchkas's Hungarian side, 1953, beat England 6-3. And that was... England's biggest defeat uh, at home until this game against the Magyars, uh, who also beat them, of course, in their own patch as well. And it leaves England with a Nations League campaign so far of loss, draw, draw, 
loss. Um, so look, it's not looking good for England. Friend of the show, Stephen Warnock, said England looked shattered um, when I was listening to the commentary. Um, I think that's difficult to back up, though, in terms of Germany beating Italy 5-2 on the same evening. They didn't look shattered and played a similar amount of football this season. And the reality is that Hungary, to be honest, Jens just looked more hungry for the, for this game and for for this result. And England looked disinterested. And, uh, you know, as I said, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the axe is coming out for, uh, for Southgate at the moment. Is there uh, anything... Edge that you think Graham Arnold should he pick the phone up? I mean, Gareth, he was a man uh, under a lot of pressure a few weeks ago. He's now now they're talking about building statues of him. So, you know, do you think think Graham's got anything to say to Gareth to help him ride this latest media storm? If I know Graham, he's a very proud Australian, and uh, he probably enjoys the rivalry with England. And um, um, I reckon he might ring Gareth and say, "Suffer in your jocks," because you never cut an Englishman and even break. Uh, <laughs> in the context of uh, sport and the rivalries that exist between Australia and England. Um, you know, there, there will be a time when we uh, slay um, the old Dart at a World Cup and I think that'll be a wonderful day. Because who, 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 how can I not forget? How, how can I not raise the, obviously, the prospect of... Um, I was there at the old uh, West Ham ground, Boylan, when we uh, rolled over the top of them 3-1. When uh, Sven Goran Eriksson was uh, the, the the maestro in charge of uh, England's uh, football resurgence, so uh, look, you know, uh, we're not too far away from the the Poms and um, rolling them in a big tournament at some point, I would think. They've got Italy and Germany at home next. They're the last two games before the World Cup. It's um, all tough games in this Nations League. I think that's one thing you can say about the Nations League is that there are no gimmies. You're in tough groups with tough teams and there are no Armenias or or uh, the like that you can just go and all over. England have just got bang, 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 um, big games. But it is an overreaction, obviously. It's, uh, you know, people were talking about him as Sir Gareth Southgate last year. Um, Rob, I don't think he's a genius. You know, he's not Guardiola. Uh, you know, he's not Klopp. But he is probably the best man for the England job. So the fact that the England fans are already eviscerating this team is just doesn't bode well for how it's going to go in Qatar in a few months from now. We, especially given that uh, there's such a long time before these next two Nations Cup uh, matches, which uh, you, you know you've mentioned against Italy, who got, themselves got flogged against uh, Germany, and uh, uh, you know their uh, their dead cat bounce following. Uh, they're not qualifying for the World Cup, uh, you know, didn't last that long. Uh, obviously, Mancini's uh, doing a lot of experimenting himself, but uh, I tuned into the, the the back end of the talk sport and the BBC radio coverage after I'd finished listening to the radio coverage of uh, of the All Whites losing and uh, and the. Uh, you know the talkback was outraged. Anyone who listened to to the uh, to the match or watched the match, uh, uh, the the booing and the hissing and the and the chanting uh, um, that uh, that was going on at the Molyneux uh, uh, was was uh, uh, just a testament to uh, to the as you say the knee jerk reaction of, of the fans. Um, I mean Stephen Warnock himself was um, he, he was second guessing. Southgate as as the manager, and uh, but when he was asked uh, who the alternatives were. He really wasn't able to provide an option. So, you know, it just seems that um, in this recent culture, these last four years, the expectation of the England side is that they uh, they just win. And uh, I mean, Derek, you heard Harry Kane after the match. Uh, he's, I think, he said, "We'll take this one on the chin." And it just seems that Southgate really 
just didn't read the room in a fashion where he he was treating this tournament as a warm-up for the World Cup when others were treating it seriously and they they got the result that they deserved accordingly, but the fans uh, weren't on the same hymn sheet as he was. No, uh, I think Harry Kane actually, for him, spoke very pretty pretty well after the game. He said very well, that would be over the top but so particularly for Harry Kane but uh uh yeah I think he he was pretty upfront about it after the game off himself up to the media and you know said it just wasn't good enough wasn't a good enough performance on this run of four games where they haven't won a game they've only scored one goal which was a penalty uh, against Germany by Harry Kane in quite a fortuitous circumstance yeah England a lot of soul searching to do really between now and the tournament you know that formula that Gareth has relied upon is not firing at the moment despite the galaxy of stars he has available but calls for Gareth's head six months out from the tournament or, or, or less than that now after he's been England's um, second most successful manager of all time I just think that's um, that's just um, you know that's just ridiculous and and uh, you know shame on them really for for doing that, but one person that could take the England job could be uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Pochettino, if uh, if Gareth goes, because Poch and PSG are going to split uh, the uh, con- the conscious uncoupling, as Chris Martin um, would have called it. Uh, well, I think it wasn't that Gwyneth Paltrow we heard we, say that about Chris. Yeah, well, well quite yes. Maybe I got my quotes wrong, but I think you, you get the sentiment that PSG hasn't worked out for Poch, and Poch hasn't worked out for PSG. To be honest, it was. Never the right appointment. Pochettino is a project manager. He wants his teams to press. He prefers to make good players great. He definitely didn't need a team full of, you know, cults of personalities like Neymar and and Messi and Mbappe is virtually the sporting director now. So that is, that is not the place for Poch. And um, he has picked up a trophy finally, so that's good for him. Uh, but with PSG, uh, you know, they're now looking for a manager, and I think it was that you that Champions League result against Madrid that really was the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't think there was any way back for there. And the name that's on everyone's lips is Zizou. Uh, this is a big move because he's a Marseille man, a born proud man of Marseille, the bitter big rivals of Paris Saint Germain, Le Classique, and all that. And uh, you know, he, he is in the frame, and we have seen. Uh, Zidane take on these big things moves before. Of course, he won the hat-trick of Champions League, so his CV is absolutely impeccable for this kind of, of role, and he is used to managing the big egos, edge quick one, Zizou to PSG. Is that a better fit than Poch? I think so. Got another question for you as well, Edge. I know that you've been immersed in um, in everything to do with the Socceroos, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the transfer window, which is open and business is being done across Europe and the world, Tottenham have been signing just player after player, very handy signings. They've, of course, signed Perisic on a free transfer, um, re- reuniting himself with Conte. He's an experienced old hand of the Croatian international. But they then signed much um, hyped and, hi- and highly promising Jed Spence from Nottingham Forest, the right-back Arsenal, were interested in him, as they were with Yves Basuma uh, at three at £30 million. That's a snip from Brighton. He's an absolute powerhouse in the, uh, the middle of the park. And, um, you know, I just feel like, do you, do you worry that these are the sorts of players Arsenal should be signing? Is this uh, worrying times? It is, but it, I think it reflects on Conte's uh, comments when... There was a bit of speculation about him staying on. He he wanted to understand the ambition of the chairman and uh, the ability to sign players. So maybe 
maybe reading between the lines that's a, a sign that um, things are uh, stable there and the club's looking to pick off um, players that can help them improve and and um, I'm still patiently waiting to see uh, what Arsenal's going to do in the market because uh, we know we need to strengthen our squad. Before we, we move on to, I've got one final question that I wanted to ask the both of you about the Australia, uh, the World Cup group that Australia are in. But Everton, uh, some good news there, mate, uh, or is it good news? Is it a full storm? Oh, Everton. Well, Fahad Mashiri's kind of looks like he's entertaining offers to sell Everton, and this is highly surprising, given the the guys spent five hundred and sixty million on transfers since he arrived. But um, apparently, Peter Ken- Peter Kenyon, the the Dark Lord himself, uh, Voldemort, is uh, is back, and uh, from his previous guys is at Manchester United, and of course, he was involved in the early days of. Roman Abramovich is uh, at Chelsea, but he's back and he's going to be leading a consortium, another American um, consortium that are looking to get a piece of a Premier League club. And uh, look, Mishiri maybe has decided it's not not as fun as he thought running a uh, Premier League club. And it certainly has been very expensive, very expensive exercise for for him as well. I think probably he's Usmanov, who was in the shadows and he's been sanctioned that money, which I suspect coming from... Uh, Usvanov and and Mashiri was a bit of a proxy there. I suspect that's probably part of the problem. But uh, Everton, turbulence on the field and off the field. I don't know who'd be an Everton fan, Rob. No, um, certainly not me. Uh, <laughs> now, we started off the the the, um, the segment with a, a little lighthearted banter about your um, well, lack of allegiance to the Socceroos. I'm going to ask a serious question, though. Um, the, the group that Australia are settled in uh, against um, France... The running world champions, Tunisia, one of the you know relative powerhouses of African football, and uh, and Denmark, uh, who uh, we know they uh, they um, uh, are at the peak of their powers right now. What's yours assessment? And Edge, I'm interested in yours uh, of of our chances in that group when we eventually get there. I think this is an, an extraordinarily tough group um, for for Australia. Um, look, even the so-called weaker team that. Uh, uh, Australia have got to play in Tunisia. They've just they've just won a, a, a sort of a, a bit of a pre-season or a season, end of season tournament and beat Japan three 0 Japan are absolutely no mugs, and uh, Tunisia win the Kirin Cup. That's ironic that uh, Tunisia would win a cup sponsored by an alcohol brand. But anyway, and uh, Denmark, you know, we know that they are an emerging force, and we were talking about Christian Eriksson earlier. Um, you know, he he and the Danes have performed very well at the last uh, Euros. They're performing extremely well in most you know most of the games they play. Certainly on a an upwards trajectory, and of course Le Bleu. Um, you know, I know Australia gave them a pretty good game in the last World Cup, and not exactly in scintillating form themselves. But I, I don't want to put a dampener on it, and this is why Edge can give us the positive spin. But this is extremely tough. But you know. If anyone can do it, maybe the Socceroos can. I think, Derek, you, you're spot on. It's going to be a very difficult group. But um, just some reflections from me. Um, don't forget that we played France and Denmark in Russia. And in big portions of the French game, we were on top and unlucky not to get a point in that game, I would think. And uh, secondly, um, the difference between uh, Denmark and Australia was was Christian Eriksen. Uh, he was superb. Uh, he scored the goal, uh, a very, very good goal. That was the difference between those Game. So we competed extremely well against those two nations uh, in France, and I'm expecting the same again. It's a game of football. Um, we have to get 
um, our heads around um, getting organised and prepared. But anything's possible at the World Cup. We've seen shocks before. We're not too far away. And this group of players are uh, evolving. Um, there is some good young talent coming through. Don't forget, I think we'll have uh, probably more um, players available, uh, Suta and maybe Tom Rogic as well. So I think um, uh, we will be a lot more competitive than most uh, uneducated uh, football followers around the world um, and some even in, uh, in our home country will, will say that we've got uh, no chance but I actually think we've got a very good chance to be super competitive and on your day a bit of luck a rub of the green you never never know and Edge what a great way to finish the show this week can you believe that you're actually in a position to be saying that after all the concern and worry and the roller coaster of the last three years Australia are going to Qatar yeah, look, um, and it's just, um, I'll just reiterate, I'm like a bit of a, a dog with a bone of this, this group of players and uh, the Federation, despite all of the challenges and frustrations we feel at times, have uh, done everybody in the football community proud and Australia more generally. But um, yeah, the, the impact of uh, travelling from Europe back into the Middle East and Asia and then back to Europe for professional football, international football, uh, people like uh, our very own Jackson Irvine, Aaron Moy, all of them, you know, the whole lot of them, um, even Andrew Redmayne, the grey wiggle coming off the bench <laughs> to shock the world um, with his antics. Uh, I mean, it's been a, a remarkable journey, 1,010 days, and uh, we're going to be at the big dance. In what's going to be a remarkable World Cup, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, Tunisia, let's not uh, forget we've got Tunisia in our group and uh, playing an Arabic team here um, in uh, the home conditions that uh, will be in place here in Qatar is going to be a, a very special experience for all Australians. Um, can't wait to um, to be hosting a very large group here and having all sorts of fun in Doha and uh, enjoying what an Arabic World Cup and all of the smells and sights and music and uh, and sand has to bring to it. Oh, yeah, mate. Okay, well, look, uh, Edge, uh, uh, well done uh, um, on all the colour you brought to us um, over the past few weeks. Uh, uh, travel safely, mate, and um, and uh, we'll, we'll do it all again next week. Um, Derek, thank you, mate. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a cameo appearance this week, but it was an extended Socceroo celebration. Uh, so, um, yeah, we, we certainly, I think we, uh, we put a little, a little fairy dust from Europe on, on the show at the back end. Yeah, very much happy to take a back seat this week. Uh, well done, everyone. Excellent. And uh, Willem, he's uh, already working on next week's show as we speak. And, and uh, a great uh, uh, thank you to Damien Tardio, the man behind the buttons who's uh, pieced this whole thing together. It's an extended show this week. We do hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a celebration and uh, it'll be the first of many over the next few months as uh, we travel the journey to the World Cup with uh, our great Socceroos. Uh, please uh, share uh, the news about the show. If you enjoy listening to it, please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.